Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, this is Tony Cotty and you're listening to the We Are West End podcast. You are listening to the We Are West Ham podcast with me, Will Pugh, and my pal, James Jones. Since we last spoke, West Ham United have soared to fourth place in the Premier League, mainly through virtue of the teams around them just not fancying playing any games of Premier League football and then blaming it on COVID. West Ham played 22, 37 points in fourth place, but Arsenal breathing down the next just two points behind with two games in hand and Tottenham. Four points behind, four games in hand. However, good to have points on the board from West Ham's point of view. Lovely to see them in fourth place. Since our last show, which was last Monday night, West Ham have beaten Norwich 2-0 at home. Should have been about 6-0 and somehow lost 3-2 at home to Leeds. Jack Harrison scoring a hat-trick. Uh, which I think equates to about 50% of the total career goals he's ever scored, which is a bit of a nightmare. But never mind. Manchester United away coming up. Huge clash for West Ham. Delights, I'm joined by my mate James Jones. He is two podcasting as Manchester United are two football clubs. Jonesy, how are you doing, mate? Um, bit of a strange one. Again, that sort of roller coaster effect that we're getting a little bit used to. At West Ham comes back to bite us again. A good result against Norwich, albeit the lack of clinic. Uh, oh goodness, I've come across my come a cropper already, Jones. We're just two minutes in. Uh, the lack of what's the word for like clinicalism is the word that I was gonna say, which is obviously incorrect. Ruthlessness. Yeah, that'll do. That's much better than clinicalism. They, I was getting confused with cynicism as well. There should be a word for that, shouldn't there? Clinicalism should be a word, I think. Yeah, I agree. You'd have known what I'd meant, wouldn't you, if I'd have said yeah. West Ham lacked clinicalism against Norwich? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> right, so, so that we could have the podcast title just two minutes in, which does me a right favour trying to think of something creative later on. Um, yeah, beat Norwich, lost to Leeds. How do you feel about those two games? It's always difficult, isn't it, when the defeat was the most recent one, but uh, three points from two games probably think we I don't think that's a good return if I'm honest no not when you consider the the caliber of opposition we played I think the the Norwich game was the most routine win I think you'll ever see training ground wasn't it it yeah. was training ground stuff that's probably why it wasn't more than two nil I think I think yeah we kind of without even realizing it took our foot off the gas a little bit yeah we could have been a little bit more clinical in front of goal but routine win as long as it was three points, didn't really matter how many we scored. Uh, and in the Leeds game, just it was almost like typical West Ham sort of thing. I know David Moyes came out and moaned about the, the scheduling, which I suppose he has got a point. But at the same time, should be beating Leeds, really considered the state of this state of their squads in at the moment. 
Um, I think they've broken the record for the most the most young players given debuts in the Premier League ever for a season. <laughs> and it's like what well, constitutes a young player? Do you know? Well, I think like it's like or? I think it's like a teenager. Yeah, like come through the youth youth ranks, and they've been forced into breaking that record because mm. of how many injuries they got, COVID, and all the rest of it. Fair play to them; they've got on with it and not started asking for postponements like mm. other clubs have done. But we should be beating a team like Leeds when they're that, like literally just got no players. Mm. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Beating them like we did it in the FA Cup, um, and then when like two of their two of their first team players leave the pitch early doors, like Forshaw and Furpo, like you look at you go, yeah, well, we should be winning this easily. Should be comfortable now. And it wasn't. And, you know, Leeds fully deserved the win in my book. 100% deserved to beat us. Um, and I'm sure, well, I know we'll get into it, but just not good enough. But I suppose there are some outside factors that like Moyes alluded to afterwards that did play their part, but also... About what? What do, you, what do you mean? Well, like the scheduling and that, you know, Leeds have got games in hand and they, they weren't forced to play in midweek like we were. Um, not having that, mate. I mean, I mean, it's clutching at straws excuses. I can kind of see where he's coming from, but this game's got to be played at some point. We would have had to have played that game between two other games at some point. So it is what it is, I think. But yeah, um, but yeah, like defensively poor, we'll get onto that. But just got to be better. Just got to be better. And we know we're better, which is the frustrating thing. We know we're better than that. Yeah, I think it's one of those, isn't it? It's like, so we're, we've been quite good on this podcast, I think this season and just generally and last year as well of contextualising these things and, you know, just not trying to lose our heads that much or be unreasonable when it's unreasonable to be unreasonable, if that makes sense. Uh, But I think this time, and you sort of look, you go, we're through the next round of the cup, three games in quick succession, all at home, through the next round of the cup, then a Premier League three points. But you can barely count the Norwich game, can you? Honestly, they were so bad. They just offer absolutely nothing. Um and that should have easily been 5-0. We did a job in the cup. Should have been more clinical then as well. And I just think it was almost... The, the, the games before were too easy. And Leeds, they obviously had a couple of extra players. They did have a different team to the one that played in the cup, didn't they? Mm. Uh, and they did look loads better. Loads better. A couple of my Leeds mates have already said that's the best they've played all season. Um, and they did look a lot better. But I just think they're sort of ease of the previous two fixtures just stayed with everyone a bit they just looked a bit lackadaisical and a bit oh you know this is all right as if they were just going to canter to an easy win again and Leeds rock up and and that's not what happened however you know I know we we scored two goals again but it's a deal mate I mean (laughs) you can all of that stuff and it seems negative but you can just point the finger at him really you can blame the whole thing on him and say, no matter how, sort of, even if all the rest of the players were only at 7 out of 10, 6 out of 10, further up the pitch, you just look at Diop, in my opinion. Uh, people are digging out Kufau and a couple of others, but I just think, change Diop for Ogbonna there, we win that game 2-1. I think their, their third one, um, Sufau caught way out of position. Mm. Uh, Diop had a part to play in that as well, but Sufau, way out of position. Um so, yeah, you could place the blame on that. Bowen's miss at the end. Should be scoring. I know he's come out and apologise, which is a bit weird, but... Stupid, yeah. Um, like, there are a number of players to blame. It's not just Diop. I completely agree. Diop had an absolute shocker. Um, but, I mean, I've seen some of the abuse that he's had on social media since. And 
it's a little, the way I see it is that, you know, if you're going to have a pop at Diop, then you've got to have a pop at Bowen. You've got to have a pop, pop at Soufal. Nah. nah um, and and Diop, Diop's the full guy because Diop is, at the moment, perceived to be the, the weakest player in the squad. Nah, I, that's not true, mate. Um, he's well, I, he's I a full guy because he was rubbish. Like well, he was two... rubbish, but the fact the fact that he was rubbish on the day and the fact that particularly last particularly last season there were stages where it was like, oh my god, like, there was one point where Chris was coaching him during a game, telling him not to let the ball bounce and stuff like that, and you're worried about it. And so that heightens the fact that when he does have a shocker and the team lose unexpectedly. Then he becomes the soulful guy. When actually, I don't think he was the no. soulful guy in the game. Um, but I agree the fact that he was terrible and he deserves criticism for for his performance. But I don't think he was really one. It wasn't solely because of him that we that we lost. <laughs> I just think without without his mistakes, we don't lose it. Uh, that, that's my opinion. Anyway, you're right, mate. We will get into it in a bit more detail uh, in a minute. Um, a reminder, as ever. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at we are underscore West Ham or on Instagram at we are West Ham Pod. Facebook we are on we are West Ham Podcast. Search that on Facebook and you'll find our page. YouTube do the same. We are West Ham Podcast to find the channel with all the video clips Jonesy puts up every week. And you can email us if you so wish at we are West Ham Pod at gmail.com links to all the ways you can follow us and contact we are west ham included in the description to this podcast below and as always you can buy us a beer and support the podcast at buymeacoffee.com slash we are west ham and while we're on that topic a massive thanks to caesar by the way down in melbourne in australia who after last week's show went on and bought us five pints uh i'm not sure how we're going to split the spare one to be honest jonesy um I'm still doing dry January, to be fair. So uh, you can have the extra half. I'll just have thanks, two mate. in Feb and you can have the extra half. But yeah, major thanks to Caesar down in uh, in Melbourne, down under for uh, for chipping in last week. Much appreciated indeed. Josie, we've got a busy show coming up tonight. Uh, we've got the reaction to that Norwich game last Wednesday. The same again to the Leeds game as well, where I had my pants well and truly pulled down after predicting West Ham would beat Leeds 4-0. Uh, and for one, one on this podcast, one on the LS11 podcast. Uh, I've got quite a few Twitter mentions since the game. It's safe to say we'll do the Betway charity bets, the Manchester United opposition view with Matt Beadle before we look back at the West Ham women's dramatic one all draw away to Tottenham uh, with Daily Mail's Catherine Batty. I appreciate she was on last week, but she was at the game, so no better person to react to that one with before we say goodbye for another week. Stay with us. It's Norwich Reaction next. Josie, I can already tell that it's going to be a prickly one tonight. I'm not very well. I've actually got COVID, mate. The first time I've got it, it's caught up with me after, I don't know, it feels like I've been involved with it for 10 years or whatever now. So uh, I'm not very well. So I'm already a little bit tired and irritable, uh, getting very similar vibes off of you as well. Um, now, Norwich and Leeds. I don't know. I, I feel like it's probably best for the purpose of the podcast to just start with Norwich and we'll be brief on that, shall we? Because... <laughs> There's not really a lot to cover, is there? There's not a lot to talk about. Um, it was just annoying. We were no, we won. We won. <laughs> no, I'll take it back. We won. We won two 0 
against the team and we should have won six nil. The attitude did irritate me slightly, but I'm never ever gonna complain about a win. Do you know what I mean? Unless it's a win under Allardyce when I would have complained. <laughs> but yeah. We won the game and we never looked under threat really at all. Uh I just think we should it it, all, it was bordering on unprofessional how lackadaisical we were in the final third, I thought. Yeah, I mean, like I said in the intro, did she the most routine win you'll probably ever see us have. Like it was, we didn't have to get out of first gear. Um, and yeah, perhaps we should have put to the sword a little bit and scored five, six or whatever. But the way I see it is that wins a win, it's three points. Like you said, we didn't really look in danger of conceding the goal. I know Adamida hit the post in the second half. Good save from, um, Good save, from yeah. Fabianski. But other than that, I don't remember them doing anything of note. No. Um, no. And like de- defensively, like Grant Hanley was <laughs> just all over the shop. He's hilarious, isn't he? Yeah. Um, and <laughs> I mean, sounds bad. How they beat Everton, by the way. Yeah, I know. How they I know. Beat but like, Everton. Watching Grant Hanley, like, like watching Diop against Leeds was like reminding me of watching Hanley against us on Wednesday because it's just all over the shop. Um, mm. But yeah, like, I don't know. Yeah, we could have scored more. We probably should have scored more, but it's three points. Um, and yeah, you just move on. You move on from it and go, yeah, great. Happy days. Not a great deal to. To, to really build on that, really, because it was just so routine. It was just like a, yeah, just rock up and get the three points. Yeah, it literally Which is was terrible that, in the Premier it? League. It shouldn't be that easy in the Premier League. Nah, like, and that's 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 the thing, isn't it? And they say about Norwich get grief, don't they? But um, I think positive, Jared Bowen scoring two. That was good. Um, yeah. Not just because I'd captained him in fantasy football, <laughs> but I think, yeah, I he's obviously will cover... Excuse me, the Leeds game in a minute, but he's he's playing superbly, isn't he? And it's so good to see a player making the progress that fans hoped and thought he would. Um, and yeah, I, by far, people will say Declan, and I understand that. But um, he's certainly on par as our best and most important player this season. Um, so anything else then, Jonesy, from, uh, from that Norwich game? I mean, we were all over them. We even had most possession which we never ever yeah. do in a game. Yeah. Uh, but was there anything, anything else really that? Um, it was just, it was funny, wasn't it? It's just like I just sat there with my dad, and it was I was, I normally am pretty good at cut. Like I'm always concentrating and into the game, but I was just quite relaxed. I was, I watched it with um, with Chad as well, Chad and my dad, uh, and we were having a chat during the game, just sort of. Just the almost, do you know what I mean? Almost as if it was on in the TV in the background. The social, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just having a chat. The the only thing that we didn't really notice it during the game, but she's seen the video after was uh, Tim Crawl like throwing uh, Vlasic into the goal by his head. Ah, oh, mate, yeah. What I mean, and what a like, fallacy uh, that is. Yeah. When obviously that, that happened down our end, and you know the game stopped for a little bit while. You know, put Vlasic's head back on. <laughs> yeah. We didn't see it. We just thought, what's he doing on the floor in the goal? Like, what? Get up. Mm. What could have possibly happened? We just didn't see it. And it was only after the game when someone sent me the video and I was like, 
why why on earth has VAR not looked at that and gone, well, that's a penalty? Just, yeah. Like, you can't grab someone by the head and chuck them into the goal. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Like, yeah. And they've just gone, because the video from the, like, the corner's coming in when he does this. It's not as if they've done it and it's like the, the, the ball's still out of play and they're waiting for him to take the corner. It's as the corner's taken, the, the ball's mm. in the box by the time he chuck, like he grabs his head. <laughs> like, what? I don't. That, that would always baffle me. So why hasn't that never been checked? When you you have other situations where they literally try to find every single reason possible to to not give a goal or give a goal or give a penalty, and then like you basically assault someone, and it's like nah, can't bother to check that. Yeah, it, it doesn't really matter because we won the game. But come on, but it does, doesn't it? That I you're right. Yeah, yeah. Um, like people, I see people laughing about it on Twitter, and it's like you can laugh about it, but what? What's if it was one all, you'd be furious. Yeah. What's yeah, gone yeah, wrong yeah. there for that not to have bothered being checked? So, mm. other than that, like literally nothing to talk about. No, no, you're yeah. right, mate. Yeah, it was just like, <laughs> meh, all right. Yeah, but yeah. You're, you're, it is pathetic. And it's, you, you should almost really be equally as angry, even though it hasn't cost your team, shouldn't you, really? Because at the beginning of the season, everything was going so well. The officiating was brilliant. Mm. It just seems to have absolutely fallen off a cliff and we're back into like farcical fallacy territory again. But hey, like you said, mate, three points on the board, bumped us up to fourth, which is where we stay, uh, as I mentioned in the intro, more because of teams around us not playing Arsenal and Spurs that getting called off. I can't even be bothered to go into that, mate. I don't know anyone who doesn't think it's a joke unless they're a gooner. One COVID case and... To be fair, they, they, the Arsenal fans get... I've spoken to are also like, yeah, like we're glad we got it called off because like half our squad's like not there, but at the same time, like it should have gone ahead because of Afcon, and then after they loaned injuries. out two players, Balogun. yeah, and Jackie gets a red card, and if he hadn't, honestly, mate, it's an absolute farce, and people are going, ah, oh, you know, it, it's the it's the rules. I agree. Primarily is the rules, but the fact that Arsenal completely escape blame or any criticism because the rules are there to be just because they're there to be manipulated, it doesn't mean you have to manipulate them. And the, the, the youngsters played on Friday night. <coughs> yeah, and Leeds, down Friday night. Yeah, Leeds, like you mentioned already, you got to give them a bit of respect, really, haven't they? None of that from them playing with youngsters on the bench, youngsters on the pitch. Yeah. Complete fallacy. And anyone saying that Arsenal aren't culpable or uh, should be escape criticism is an absolute buffoon as well. Uh, let's move on to the Leeds game then, mate. Um, should we? Let's go two-footed into the Issa Diop situation then. Because I, I, I just don't... I, I, I just... What you were saying earlier on, I'll try and get my words out of here, mate. I'm just apoplectic with rage. Uh, but what you were saying earlier on about, oh, uh, you know, because he's he's not been good before, he's the first one to be the full guy. I completely disagree with that. The reason I'm pointing the finger at him is because he was the worst player on the pitch again. And his two, his mistakes or perform like things that he did directly led to two Leeds goals. Both of two of Leeds's three goals were within 15, scored within 15 seconds of a dodgy pass out from the back to someone in the middle of the park 
who was under pressure. And I know Leeds put pressure on. That's their thing. Be struggling if you know, yeah, if you yeah. know that, don't do that then. Like, <laughs> play accordingly. I mean, one pass was particularly sloppy, which was 100% him. The other one, the Vlasic one, you sort of think, all right, 50-50 blame there. Um, and I think it was the third goal as well where Rodrigo or Rafinha, excuse me for getting the names mixed up, uh, picks up the ball and goes around him like the bloke's made of concrete. He makes some weird, stupid lunge. It was his pass that saw Leeds with the ball anyway, which they, when they shouldn't have been. It should have been West Ham in possession. He'd already given the ball away. And then the winger goes down the right-hand side. And rather than just standing off him, making it difficult for him, holding him up, showing him to the line or whatever, making him do something, he just mindlessly lunges in when he knows him and all his teammates are out of position anyway. The bloke dances past him as if he's not there. And then seconds later, bang, Leeds have scored again. Uh, and and I just think it's easy to sort of criticise the whole team. But I also think, all right, yeah, sure, point fingers at others who've had maybe a 5 out of 10 or a 6 out of 10. But we've scored two goals in a reasonable amount of Premier League games. Two goals is enough to certainly get you a point and often win the game, providing you defend properly. And I just think, you take Diop out of that and what he did at the weekend, I sort of think it's a little bit unfair. You shouldn't be relying on Jared Bowen to score, albeit a sitter at the end of the game, to rescue your point. And if you take him out of the equation, uh, you know, and I, I, I just think we, we get something out of that game and it's as, as black and white and as simple as that for me. I don't disagree <laughs> that, you know, he was he was at fault for at least two of the goals. He made a lot of mistakes. His passing was off. Um you know, the team as a whole really, really struggled on the day with with Leeds's press. Like, yeah, like just the whole ninety minutes just really couldn't deal with it. Uh, and the the one player in particular who just really panicked every time he, he was in possession of the ball was Dio, like, because they mm. as if they as if they were targeting him. Because every time he got the ball, he had like three players running at him, and he just was like, "Oh my god, what am I going to do?" Confidence was shot. Um, yeah, and obviously once you make one mistake in that situation where you're already under pressure by the opposition mm. and you know that now for the next whole of 90 minutes, every time you get the ball, it's going to be the same pressure and the first time it happens, you make a mistake. Like, the game's gone for you. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah and it seemed to affect him, didn't it? Yeah, and it did. And that's what happened. And, you know, it just got worse and worse and worse for him throughout the game. Um, but the point I was making is that like his confidence is shot, has been shot ever since what COVID forced him out of the team at the beginning of last season. Like he's put ever since he, because he was, he was the first choice to, alongside Ogbonna for a good uh, 14 months after he arrived at the club and then got COVID yeah. to miss out a few games. And then Balbuena came in and then eventually Dawson. Uh, and he's just never been the same player since. Um, and I'm, I'm not blaming COVID on that, but it was as if like, that disrupted him. That disruption to his run of games and his form. Ever since then, he's he's really struggled. And I think there's been times last season, as I said before, where he's been coached in the middle of games by Aaron Creswell and mm-hmm. dodgy decision making, bad passing, out of position. He has been like the one player where fans have gone like rubbish. Got to get rid of him. Maybe him and Yarmolenko, the two players, like, just like got to get rid of him. Like not good enough mm. anymore. So when Games like that happen where really the whole team 
struggled on the day. Yeah, okay, we scored two goals, but 90, 90% of the time we were under a lot of pressure from these and we couldn't handle them all around the pitch. But because it's him, it's it's heightened. It's heightened. And I, But I do agree that on the day it was his fault. But, okay, just let me look at it slightly then because I don't, I don't want to sort of have a pop at you or whatever. But you do. I don't. No, I don't want to do that at all. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> you're a very good friend of mine. I never want to have a puppy. You. However, here it comes. Okay. No, I just, I just think turn it round slightly, and all those other players like Kufel. The reason you're saying it's heightened, it's heightened because he's got a track record now of poor games for the club, and I think you know that form he showed early doors. I think he's just sort of got into the rhythm of earning a decent wage, going to training, not really sort of having to up his levels and be that as good as he can be. He hasn't exactly, he hasn't been pushing for a starting place, has he? It's not like every time he's come into the starting eleven because he's had reasonable chances. It's not like he's played one game in a season or whatever and it's unreasonable to expect him to be good. He's had enough football to find some form. And... I just think he's just going through the motions, just going through the, the paces. And I think, unlike Kufau, who might have had a bad game at the weekend, or it, who else do you think sort of warrants a bit of criticism then, just quickly? I think Kufau Anyone had one in particular? Of, one of his four games, and he was, he was yeah. way out of position for their third goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, but if you just say Kufau then, right? It's difficult yeah? to pick out. Like single players, because I think just mm. as a whole, the team weren't at the race. It wasn't. Right. It wasn't our best best game. Fine. So take Kufal then as an example, mate. He's got plenty of credit in the bank already, isn't he? So all right, he's used a bit of it up with that poor performance. But it's like we say about Moyes, isn't it? All the time, if he makes a couple of ricks in among a run of eight wins in ten games. And then in, in one of the defeats or the draws or whatever, he makes a bad substitution or a bad starting selection and you feel like that's why he's missed the game. The man has got so much credit in the bank already that it's easily forgiven and forgotten because you think, well, look, it's just a it's one mistake out of, on the whole, he's doing a brilliant job. You can't, and, and he's earning his money and he's giving us all the fans and the club value for money for his wages. You can't say that about Diop, I don't think. Uh, I just think he's general. He, he's he's a well-paid player at that club, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's he's probably in the top thirty percent of earners. And I think I don't think we get a good return on that. He's by far and away our fourth best centre back, and we've got four. <laughs> I think I think the worrying thing with Diop at the moment for him um, is given how good he was in that first season mm. and where he is now, how far he's fallen, and the fact that Zuma's going to be back next game, maybe in two mm. games' time, out of the current centre-back partnership, Diop and Dawson, mm. you would think, given you know where Diop was, that the player to fall out of that partnership is Dawson. Mm. And in fact, it's going to be Diop. You know that Diop's going to be the player that pulls out and it's going to be Zuma and Dawson for the rest of the season. Too right. Yeah, yeah. And it, like, actually, when you look at it on paper and you consider how good Diop was in that first year and you consider his age um, and everything else, and you think, well, surely Dawson's the one that drop out. 
but you just know it will be deal and it deservedly will be deal. Um, and that's that. That's the worrying thing for him and how far he's he's declined over the last couple of years is that when it comes to being dropped, him or Dawson, it's going to be it's going to be him over what thirty three year old Craig Dawson. Yeah, but I wouldn't. Who would you want it to be? Like I I I'd be. Yeah. But I, I, that, that's how it of should course be. it should be. Oh right, sorry, I thought be, you yeah. were querying it. Yeah, but, but but that's the worrying thing for him. Uh, but he he should be quite. But he doesn't appear that. worried. He doesn't but appear he, worried I mean, at all. I think well, he's maybe, really maybe enjoying he's his Premier League maybe, salary in London. Maybe he's not. Maybe he's not. But you you think as a as a young as a young player, like that shouldn't be a scenario that it should be happening to you when you're a young a young player in the Premier League. Particularly after the fact that you know everyone was raving about you in your first season, you just kind of just allowed yourself to, whether it's a confidence thing, you're just not being able to build it up, but allowed yourself to step back to the point where Craig Dawson's going to be picked over you. Like mm. that, that should be worrying for him. He should be thinking, "Well, I've got to put my finger out. I've got to sort right, this that's out." What, that's what I'm saying, um, mate. That's uh, us as fans are fair to demand that, yeah. aren't we? Of course, yeah, hundred percent. That's what I'm doing. Go just via this podcast. <laughs> Right, Issa, I demand more. Get back to your old form. Yeah, that's what I just find it difficult, mate. Because it's not like you know. Sometimes you can with players, they fall off a cliff, and you go, oh, and you sort of give them the benefit of the doubt. You think, oh, something away from the pitch has gone wrong. Or... Like Marcus Rashford at United at the moment. Yeah. Right, what's going on with Marcus yeah, yeah. Rashford? Perfect example. Yeah, yeah. But generally, other than that, like you said, that that first spell where he was a regular. Since then. He's had enough football and enough time has passed to sort of address whatever things might be going on. And I just think it just seems he just sort of found his level. He doesn't mind sitting on the bench. He doesn't, I don't know. It just, I just think we want more from him. Or like you, like you say, it's one of them. I, I just think he could be doing more. Like there's no reason he should be, you know, Bonner's getting on a bit as well, isn't he? He should be like, or should have been, and that was when we signed him. The point was that he was like the the progressor, was it, or the mm. the progression plan? Sorry, at centre back, he should be already like, oh yeah, I'm coming for your spot in the team, Ogbonna. He's not though, is he? He's just no. he seems to be just be letting his career pass him by and his time at West Ham peter out. And like you say, right, we should be having a conversation about, oh yeah, well we're we're going to need to sign a few centre backs in the in the foreseeable future. Because Dawson will be, you know, too old for it soon. Ogbonna will be is reaching that level if this knee injury is as bad as we think it is. Whatever, it should be like that. Should, oh, don't worry, we've got our centre back for the next five years in Issa Diop because he's developed and progressed. He's just gone backwards from his brilliant start, and I think it's fair to demand and want more from him as fans. No, I completely agree with you. Yeah. Did you fart then? Or was that your chair? Nah, it sounded chair. alarmingly like a fart. Definitely didn't fart. I would have muted if you farted. You wouldn't hear Pro- that. Proper comical value, that. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I mean, I do 100% agree with you. I, I, like, he deserves the criticism that he's getting. But my point was that he's not the only one that was, was 100% at fault against Leeds. I think there were other, other situations which led to ultimately led to the defeat. Um, and yeah, okay, the likes of Sue Fowl and Bowen have got got credit in the bank. Bowen more so than Sue Fowl at this stage, but you know you're, you're out of position for a goal where you just shouldn't be out of position for, or 
you're trying to chest the ball in from two two yards when you should be heading it in. Like just little things like that. It's like, come on, like you can still criticise those those situations and those and those decisions on mm. on the pitch. Um, and that's the point I was making. But yeah, Diop was, yeah, woeful again. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Well, um, Jack Harrison scored the first hat trick of his career. I think the last yeah. time he scored two goals in a game, he was playing for New York City FC, uh, which is obviously quite some time ago. Um, ah, Josie, I don't really know what to say, mate. It was just frustrating. The whole thing, I think, was was just annoying. Like the goals were sloppy and rubbish, and we just went into the, with, with that lackadaisical attitude. Um, I thought our goals were good. Nice to see Pablo get on the uh, get on the score sheet. A nice tidy finish as well, to be quite honest. Um, Jared Bowen getting the other one, of course, and then Bowen misses right at the end. Now, as I said, uh, tested positive over the weekend, wasn't able to go to the game. Uh, would have been working anyway, so I was never going to be able to go. But when that, right at the end, I was watching it on telly, um, wasn't feeling particularly clever. And when when he di- when when the miss at the end, I just I couldn't speak anymore. And I was already, I was already having a rough time and a rough day, and when that went over, I just couldn't speak. I was like, I'm going to sleep. <laughs> just couldn't say anything. Um, you got to credit him for the goal. That's three goals in two games. He's in absolutely superb form, Jared Bowen. He should score that. We've just watched it back again together then, haven't we, with the end when he chests it over. Talk to me about the goal first, and then we'll cover the apology that he's made on social media after the game. Well, he should be heading it. I don't really understand why he's decided to chest it. Um, it wasn't as if it was like proper fizzed at him either from, you know, from two yards. No, it was a, it was a decent whipped in cross, but he had enough time to make a decision where he was going to chest it or head it. So I don't really understand why he's chested it. And yeah, I mean, we, like, head on hands, a couple of geezers on their knees. It's like, what's going on? Like, what, what on earth has he done there? Has he missed that? Um, yeah, just baffling, really. And, yeah, frustrating. But I think, I think yeah, we probably didn't deserve a point anyway, looking back on it. Like, it was such a, it would have been really unfair on Leeds, I think, but it's what it is. But the whole, like, Harrison getting a hat-trick. So like, why have we allowed Jack Harrison to score a hat-trick against us? And the weirdest thing is, I actually didn't realise he scored the hat-trick until later on in the day when I was looking at the stats. And then saw his name pop up three times. I was like, oh, really? It's worse than I thought it was. Why do you and mean I, you didn't re- realise? Well, I just, I, I was just so like really annoyed that we'd conceded three goals. I, I didn't really take notice, uh, take much notice about who had actually right. scored against us. And I rarely do unless I like really recognise the player. But he's not exactly the most recognisable of players either. Mm. And I was like, oh, really? Like that's just got a hat trick against us. And then that made me really be annoyed that like my son's called Harrison, and I was just like. Well, I have like Leeds, thanks. Like, you've ruined my Sunday. Like, <laughs> yeah, that was now funny. I'm now questioning why, questioning why I've named my son Harrison because Jack Harrison's yeah. got to catch you against us. And I don't suppose it was after that. Jack Harrison, was it? Nah, no, nah, uh, but still, really? I was just like, now 
for the, at least for the next 24 to 48 hours, every time I say my son's name, I'm going to be reminded of the fact that yeah, yeah, were that yeah. big. And yeah, I was like, oh, I don't enough. need this. I've, it's a Sunday. I don't need this at all. It's annoying. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's what it is. Yeah. Uh, so Jared Bowen, after the game, posted a photo of himself from the game, celebrating the goal he did score. Um, great header, by the way. Leeds yeah. looked well susceptible from corners. And I do also think we deserve the point, although it was a disappointing game. I think the way we played going forward, we did look pretty reasonably dangerous. We caused Leeds problems. Uh, and it easily could have been that 3-all. Jared Bowen, though, posted a photo of himself after the game celebrating his goal and wrote, The highs and lows of football I'm devastated with today. I can only apologise to the fans and my teammates for getting it wrong and get ready to put it right next weekend. He obviously meant the miss right at the end. Uh, West Ham replied and said, Head up, Jared. Nine goals and eight assists already this season. You're massive for this team, which is true. Um, Dan Randolph was in there as well. Bowen for England. Keep your head up, bro. Uh, screw the haters and on to the next game. You've got zero to apologise for. Declan Rice said, um, chipped in as well, saying, you know, what you've contributed this season have been huge, blah, blah, blah. Now, do you want to tackle that head on first? Because I absolutely hate footballer apologies. They're just hollow and tragic and pathetic. It's like, as long as it's special, like, it's either one of two things, right? You either fall into one of two categories. You're either like Jared Bowen, clearly trying your best for the team week in, week out, really important and really good and don't need to apologise. Or you're absolutely rubbish week in, week out. And the last thing fans need is hollow, empty words on social media. They need you to buck your act up and perform better on the pitch. In, in no circumstance is a footballer apology needed. Ever in this situation, it's weird. Like, I don't even feel. I mean, if I was Martin Over Decorous, I'd be like, delete that now. Like, that should not be on social media. Yeah, <laughs> you shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. Um, just very weird thing to. After it's... you've scored in the game, yeah. Just... Like after you've scored three and two, and like you've like no Englishman in the Premier League scored more goals or assists than you this season. Like you're. The, one of the best players in the Premier League at the moment in terms of form. Yeah. You missed an open goal. Me. Okay, you should have done better. But not apologise, not public. That's I mean, annoyed me more than him missing the open goal. Yeah, so like, the, the only time I could I can half get it is if, you know, they've done something just ridiculous in a game, like get sent off because of a really, really stupid challenge at a really crucial moment, which has then cost, cost the team an important game. Um, like away from home where the fans have travelled for or, miles. Yeah. Or in a cup final when you've done something silly or cup semi-final or whatever. But missing an open goal after scoring about a million goals before. <laughs> yeah. Like, come on. You don't Including one in that game. Yeah, like, yeah. The fact that, yeah. I mean, the fact that the reaction from the, the rest of the squad says it all really. They say, oh, get on with it, mate. Right, who cares? Yeah, like, yeah. It is what it is. Yeah, it's, it's all... I just... It's like... Just sharp, like that's the response. You know, if that had been funny, actually, if like Noble or like if Moyes just got Instagram yeah. just to reply and go, "Shut up, Jared!" Like, yeah. stop being an attention seeker. Yeah. Like, get yeah. get over it, will you? Um, I th- yeah. I mean, he should head it, shouldn't he? You've said that already, Josie. All in all, uh, a frustrating one, but. We're still doing all right, aren't we? We're still fourth in the league. I think the frustration comes from we touched on it earlier. Obviously, fourth in the league sounds good. 
Arsenal and Tottenham are breathing down our necks now. They do have to play each other, of course, uh, in one of those games in hand. So they can't both win those. But the Manchester United game not being Leeds or losing to Leeds makes that Man United game this weekend huge, doesn't it? We would have been on the 40-point mark already if we'd won that. We're still on 37 now after playing 22 games. Man United are five points behind us. We've played two games less. You sort of think, if we lose to United, they, uh, well, you, you sort of say they're going to catch us. Um, their goal difference is worse than ours, but yeah, they could easily catch us. Arsenal and Tottenham there, breathing down the next as well. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, actually, if you average it out, we, we could only be seventh once all things are even and all the games are played. Yeah, it, it, it only like... seventh. Imagine this, mate, oh, when no, we're in crazy, Sport Radio. Only seventh. It's like, <laughs> It's, it's losing against Leeds has un, like made it unnecessary. Made the United game unnecessarily bigger than what it actually should be. Yeah, like we're now going into that game. Normally, you go to Old Trafford and go, you know, even even despite the fact that we're better than United at the moment. Yeah, that you still go there and go. Oh, it's still going to be a tough game. You know, take a point, take a point. Now it's like we'll probably still take a point, but we kind of need all three now if we're going to stay in the in the conversation for mm. at least top four, if not top six. But really, like, February's massive for us when you look at the teams we've got to play. You've got Watford at home, Leicester away, Newcastle at home, um, Wolves at home. Like, pretty 10 points out of those 12 games if we're going to stay mm. in the conversation. And but even then, you're still relying on the likes of Spurs who've got, like, a season's worth of, like, games in hand. Um, <laughs> Arsenal have got about 10. Like, they're going to catch us. One of them is going to catch us. Mm. Um, so, like, we, not picking up three points against Leeds means that, you know, we haven't, like, put, I think there would have been an eight point gap between us and fifth, I think. Mm. Um, Just leave now, yourself open, don't you? Now, within two games, we could slip down into seventh when, you know, and then you go into February against those teams that I've just said, and, you know, 10, 10 points minimum out of those 12 is needed. Mm. Just to be in a conversation going into March when you know fixtures get notably harder, so oh, we're yeah. going down, aren't we? Yeah, it's it's frustrating. <laughs> it's frustrating, but you know, actually, when you look at it in hindsight, yeah, we're still massive and we're still fourth yeah. in the Premier League. And I think it's mostly because the reason why it's frustrating is because you kind of get your hopes up a little bit that I oh, actually like. We could, Mate, we're we still could, in the running. We're still we in the running, aren't we? But now the doubt's coming in, going, oh, maybe we've blown it. Maybe we've blown top four. Uh, yeah, maybe. We'll be all right. Um, but yeah, it literally isn't the end of the world, despite me making it sound like it, it is the end of the world. But mm. um, yeah. We'll beat Man United, mate. What, and then what there'll be absolutely nothing to worry terrible about. Terrible time to be a West Ham fan, eh? Like, it's awful. Yeah. Only seventh. That was, uh, I'm glad I caught myself saying that. That is absolutely hilarious. Well, look, uh, got to put that one behind us. Good win against Norwich, but you sort of, yeah, I mean, anyone who doesn't beat Norwich, no wonder the Rafa Benitez was sacked straight after that because anyone who doesn't beat Norwich is <laughs> just absolutely shambles. Yeah, uh, stay with us. Betway Charity Bets next. <laughs>
Well, well, Jonesy, we had two games to look back on uh, as far as the Betway charity bets are concerned. Two bets, uh, two games to look back on as far as the podcast goes as well. Uh, Jonesy, we actually had another winner, didn't we? But it was in bizarre circumstances once again. Uh, so we'll start with the Norwich game first of all. Can you explain uh, to the listeners exactly what happened there? So... Um... Reese had picked uh, West Ham scoring both halves. Thomas Suchet at the score any time. And West Ham have over to seven and a half corners. Uh, obviously, Suchet didn't play, which meant it went down to a two-legger. Uh, West Ham to score in both halves. Obviously, we did that, although the second half was a little bit close. Mm. And uh, West Ham over seven and a half corners with 11. So, that came in. We're still waiting on the uh, the odds that Betway are going to pay out for that. But it is a winner. But only as a two-legger, so obviously we're not going to get the eleven to one odds on that. We're going to be a little bit, a little bit reduced on that. But um, so we don't know how much we've won, but it is more money in the pot for for Isla. That's great news indeed, mate. Just a reminder there um, that me, James, and Reese Bayliss, who's uh, absent for the podcast for a while, but still getting involved behind the scenes, we get given a fifty-pound charity stake to put on a three-legged uh, West Ham bet of our choice for each and every one of the Hammers Premier League games this season by Betway. Um, and yeah, each and every week, if any of those bets come in, the winnings go towards the charities we are playing for. I am playing for the Bobby Moore Fund. James is playing for the DT38, Dylan Tom Beattie's Foundation. Reese Bayliss is playing for Isla's Fight. We've got a good few grand in the pot already. And Betway have agreed to match all of our winnings at the end of the season, which is absolutely superb. Uh, Jonesy. Uh, the Leeds game as well. I was actually pretty close, but actually, sorry, mate, before we move on, just recap what we, uh, what the other bets for that Norwich game were, if you could, if you don't mind. So I had West Ham to win to nil. Uh, Jared Bowen to score assist. Uh, and West Ham to have seven or more shots on target. Seven or five. more shots on target. Mm. So what, what, uh, what actually let you down? Oh, the under 2.5 goals, was that it? No, we're talking about Norwich, aren't we? Sorry, mate, we are. We are. It's my yeah. COVID-addled brain, mate. I don't know what I'm talking so, about. So, Norwich, West Ham, West Ham to win to nil, tick. Bowman yep. score or assist, tick. West Ham have seven or more shots on target. We only had five. So, oh, blimey. That was quite unlucky yeah. then. Well, yeah, given that we had the Woolworth twice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do so, remember... I remember digging you out for that when you said it. Um, it seemed quite a lot. But then the corners, I can't believe we had 11 corners as well. That seems phenomenal, doesn't it? Yeah, madness, madness. And yeah. you had, what did you have? You had West Ham to win. And Tony had scored and... two or more goals and over three and a half goals. So you just got one out of three there. Mm. Um, yeah, so further away, but... Yeah. So it's good positive news that Reese has got some money in for Isla's fight on that one. Uh, and the Leeds game, Josie, I was actually pretty close here. I had Mikel Antonio to score, Jared Bowen to score, and West Ham to score either exactly three or four goals. So all I needed was an Antonio goal, uh, mm. and that one would have come in. The odds were actually pretty decent on that as well. Um yeah, Antonio, he just had one of those games, didn't he? I thought he might have half a chance here or there. 
He's got a good record against Leeds, hasn't he? Scored in that um, away game, of course. Uh, but yeah, well, it wasn't to be that one, but um, that was close. Where? How close did we come with the others, yours and Reese's? Uh, so Reese was both teams to score. Dawson any time, at least have over five and a half corners. Um, obviously, Dawson didn't come in. I'm not too sure what the corners were with Leeds, but I'm pretty sure they that came in. Um, no, they only had three corners. So, mm. just the one. One out of three for Reese. Yeah, and one yours? Uh, I had West Ham to win. West Ham of eight or more shots on target under two and a half goals. So, um, five shots on target again. So, I got a zero out of three. Oh dear, zero out of three, zero bets won this season. What is going on, Jonesy? What Break is going heart. on? Break my Never heart. mind, mate. Never mind. There's still time to go. Still got three or four more months left in the season. Plenty of time for a big one. Two drop for you and the DT38, Dylan Tombidi's Foundation. Just a reminder as well, if you like the sound of any of our bets each and every week, you can back them yourself on the Betway website and app. Just go to the game in question. Uh, this week it'll be West Ham v Man United. Uh, and you just go to pre-built bets and you scroll down, find the We Are West Ham podcast bets. And it'll have my name, James Jones's name, Reese Bayliss's name against the bets each and every week. And as I say, you can back them yourself if you so wish. Jonesy, that Man United game this weekend, Saturday, three o'clock at Old Trafford. Huge game. Huge game for lots of different reasons. Uh, fingers crossed we can pull in some money for the charities as well. Can you tell me, please, what you have gone for? I've gone. I've taken some inspiration from the cut win at Old Trafford early season. I've got Lanzini goal or assist. So you've got like the win it, there before. Like uh, I've gone over two and a half goals. Just, yeah, there'll be, there'll be yeah. goals, definitely. Uh, and I've, given I've been doing the shots on target better the last couple of weeks and... I've missed both of them. And in both games, you've had five shots on target. This yep. time, I've gone five or more shots on target. Yeah, Guaranteed. Guaranteed it ends up coming in at four. Mm. But odds should be good on that one. I'm looking forward to seeing that. Yeah. I think that's the thing, mate. Yeah, the odds will be good. That's the only thing. The other two, I, I fancy. Lanzini particularly, I like that. He's been playing well. He's on pens, isn't he? Um, so It's just that shots on target one, mate. I don't want to... Rainy of Prey two weeks in a row. I'm just keen for you to win some money, of course. But it's five shots on target at Old Trafford. Just seems like a lot, doesn't it? Durable. Durable. Got to believe. That is true, mate. That is true. That is true. Well, listen, uh, I have gone for West Ham to win. Pretty standard, actually. West Ham to win. Jared Bowen, goal or assist. Both teams to score. Pretty plain, that one. But I just... The the win part of it, I think, will... uh, Boost the odds up. I know we go into these games with confidence, don't we? As in us as fans, as well as the players, I'm sure. But I do think that the odds will be good there because we hadn't won there in 15 years. So I know the fact we've done it this season probably suggests that we're unlikely to do it again uh, twice in a row. So, yeah, I've gone the the win part as as the sort of brave bit. Um, I'd be very, very, very pleasantly surprised uh, not surprised, but I'd be very delighted, of course, if we got a win. Um, I think if I was taking my claret and blue hat off and looking at it as a complete and utter, you know, neutral football man or whatever, then yeah, I think a draw is perhaps more likely. But uh, yeah, West Ham to win, Jared Bone goal or assist, and both teams to score. And Reese James, what's he gone for? 
Reese has gone. West Ham have over four and a half corners. Uh, penalty to be awarded and Suchet score any time. Hopefully he plays this week. Yeah, yeah. I did, just, the Suchet one just seems an odd shout. He's not done well. I know he scored against Watford, didn't he? But um, he may not even be back in, in the fold. So, But we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. Fingers crossed we can pull in some cash this week. And Jonesy. Uh, we'll have someone with us next, Matt Beadle, sports journalist and Manchester United fan, friend of the podcast, to chat to us with the opposition view. Tell us if those bets got any chance of coming in next. Happy New Year from our friends over at Manscaped. It's that time of the year when we all commit to changing something in our lives for the better. So why not turn to Manscaped to ensure your grooming is on point and the best it can be throughout 2022. As New Year's resolutions go, pledging your commitment to your male grooming routine is the least you can do. And Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0 has everything you need to ensure you don't drop the ball early on and remain consistent in keeping things neat and tidy all year round and to help you get off to the perfect start you can get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with the code we are west Ham. that's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with the code we are west Ham. yep the manscaped performance package is everything to boost your below the waist grooming game from the lawnmower 4.0 trimmer with advanced skin safe technology that reduces cuts and nicks, the Crop Preserver, which is a spray that protects against chafing, and the Crop Reviver, which would ensure things down there remain fresh at all times. To top it all off, you even get a shed travel bag so you can carry all of your precious Manscaped products in style everywhere you go. Will, have you got any grooming related New Year's resolutions knocking about? Well, uh, mate, as you know, we got the uh, our hands on the weed whackers earlier this year. And whilst I thought I was a bit too young for trimming nose hair, uh, I had noticed a couple of rogue ones creeping out the nearer I got to 30. Um, so, yeah, that's that's my resolution this year. Regular use on the weed whacker and make sure those uh, nose hairs are in check and there's no rogue ones creeping out for everyone to see. Fair, fair. Mine is just a bit, a bit more on top of it. I have, I have the same New Year's resolution every year, which is just to be better at everything. <laughs> and everything in, in that bracket, everything is maybe a little bit of fitness, work, parenting now. Um, and now I've got another one, which is grooming. So I'm going to be better at grooming, self-grooming, below and above the waist. Um, and the nose hairs definitely need to be done a little bit more regularly than they have been. So, yeah, I'm with you on that one, mate. Glad to 100%. hear it. So to get your hands on the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0 and to see all the other top quality male grooming products they have available this new year, head over to manscaped.com today. And remember, get 20% off and free shipping with the code WEARWESTAN. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code WEARWESTAN at manscaped.com. Have no regrets this year with our friends at Manscaped. Betway Charity Bets there, and I'm delighted to say to help us look ahead to that game at Old Trafford, having won there for the first time in 15 years earlier in the season in the League Cup. West Ham travel to Old Trafford on Saturday afternoon for a three o'clock kickoff. I'm delighted to say that joining us is sports journalist, all-round good guy, and Man United fan, Matt Beadle. Matt, thanks for coming back on the show again. Brilliant to have you. Always interesting talking to you about football in generally. 
uh, in general even, but uh, Manchester United in particular. Strange season. The Red Devils sit seventh at the moment in the Premier League. Played 20, 32 points. Um, West Ham played 22, 37 points. So a huge game really for both teams. If uh, United or West Ham could really sort of lay down a marker by making that gap between the two teams even bigger with United still having the games to play. What's your thoughts generally on on the season so far? A bit of a tumultuous time at United, Ranić coming in, Ronaldo, it's all just roller coaster stuff as usual, isn't it? What a question that is, mate. What are your thoughts on Manchester United season? How do we answer that? Hmm. Difficult. I think we're on the march, mate. We're on the march with the godfather of the Gagan press, aren't we? Tell you what, Ralphie's army. <laughs> one fortunate win against Crystal Palace on day one and then since then the, the enthusiasm seems to have died out somewhat mate yeah it's tough it's really tough and I don't know I've been on this show a few times now and it's always been Ollie that has been in charge in that time and you've always asked me what I wanted and whether I was satisfied with Ollie's progress as a Manchester United manager and I always was to an extent. It became untenable, I think, towards the end of his his time in the hot seat. But now, I, I don't know. It's, it's really tough. I think you'll speak to most Manchester United fans who will have a similar opinion on the fact that we've got another interim manager until the end of the season. So you have Michael Carrick as an interim interim. And now you have an interim manager until the end of the season. And Regardless of what we can say about 4-2-2-2 and the fact that he actually changed it for the Aston Villa game and had a modicum of success, I suppose, in that with, with Bruno being adopted in the role that we knew him and loved him when he first arrived at the club. And you can talk about the results, which, you know, I suppose eight games now in charge, four wins, what, three draws and just one defeat. So Yeah, but look at the goal yeah. scored, mate. Scored. Yeah, of course. Uh, and I and I completely agree Correct with me you. if I'm wrong, is it two games out of those where you've scored more than once? That's correct, yeah. Burnley yeah. And, and the recent I mean... game against Aston Villa. And we'll get onto Wolves, no doubt, I'm sure, in a minute. But the issue, I think, first and foremost for me, is just the fact that, and this has been spoken about quite extensively in the media and various reports from players being disgruntled at what's going on at the training ground, but You've got an interim boss until the end of the season. It's very, very hard to exert authority among a group of top elite athletes when they know you're only there until the end of the season. And yes, he's then due to be at the club in some kind of capacity for another two years. But even that alone, you look at it and go, what what kind of deal have you struck here? I think when I first saw that United had appointed Ranić, it almost felt to me like the big wigs, who we know have been a bit of a shambles over the course of the past, what, seven, eight years now, ever since Sir Alex Ferguson and David Gill left, looked at the Premier League and went, Klopp's done all right, hasn't he? Tell you what, Tuchel's done quite well. Where are they from? They're, they're German bosses, aren't they? Have a look. Have a look and see who see there is. Oh, that guy, Ranić. Yeah, bring him in. He'll do the same job. And it's just, it just seems still so shambolic from all the way <laughs> with the backroom staff of the club and now, unfortunately, onto the pitch. Do you think that it's... Because I, I, it's easy, isn't it, to get hooked into 
short-termism as football fans. Everyone does it. Uh, West Ham fans are doing it at the moment. They're calling for massive transfers in January and definitely we need bodies. But it's the same call that's been going on for the last however many transfer windows. But Moyes, has been looking at it macro and we're, we're making improvements on the bigger picture. Do you think... Is it, football fans never want to hear it, but do you think United's hierarchy have written the season off and they've got someone elite lined up, be it a Pochettino, that seems to be the name fairly popular and, and one that's wheeled out quite often. Do you feel that they've just got someone for the end of the season and it's almost a case of riding out the inevitable media storm uh, of Man United struggling for the rest of the year and it doesn't really, it's sort of like the season's a write-off already? Or do you think that's a bit naive because realistically you could still get top four? I don't think when you are a club of Manchester United stature that you can just write off a season, especially when, you know, the bosses look at the commercial revenue that being in the Champions League can bring. And that's not something I you look at again at the past seven, eight years or so, especially with Ed Woodward's reign, which is coming to an end, of course, in what? A couple of weeks, first of February. Yeah, first of February, Richard Arnold takes over. But then Richard Arnold's just Woodward Mark too, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. That's part of the problem. <laughs> he said some funny things over the years as well. I mean, a lot of fans took exception to the fact that he said he was delighted with the phenomenal success that, that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was bringing to the club. I think it's, well, what did he say years ago? George Clooney's. He said we had 25 George Clooney's in the squad or something to... So what a what a commercial appeal that Manchester United have. And when you say stuff like that, football fans look and think, you haven't got a clue what you're talking about, mate. Why are you talking yeah. about George Clooney? Not got a clue. Same with Ed Woodward. I remember in his first... Sorry, I'm going off track here slightly, but I just want to... You know, right, crack on, mate. Crack on. His first, his first summer, that ridiculous summer in, in 2013, and I think the club were in Australia, maybe, or South Africa or something. You saw David Moyes at the time looked like a deer caught in the headlights because it was just like, what is going on here? And um, Edward would left, pretty sure he left that tour, citing some urgent transfer business that he needed to get back to England for. Right, what was that then? Because nothing happened until way late into the transfer window. And you bought him Marouane Fellaini. So uh, I think a lot of fans realised what kind of character he was going to be. Uh, but no, I don't think that they can just write the season off. Whether they have got a successor lined up already, maybe if it's Pochettino. You know, I've always been in the camp of, what's he won? Didn't even mm. win the gun with PSG. So, um, so could you though, but yeah. The, the jury is still out on me, uh, still out on him, sorry, for me with that. And there are reports to suggest that they're even going to think about having someone ready before the season is over. So... I don't know. It, it's not working so far with Ralph Ranić, but then eight games in, it's just, it's just very, very difficult. And again, we go back to this Gagan press, this four-two-two-two, and it's it's difficult to implement a style. But then, I mean, he's alluded to the fact that when Jurgen Klopp first came in, it took him a few months to to get his system going at, at Liverpool. Same with Pep Guardiola, not particularly successful, not successful at all in that mm. first season. Thomas Tuchel hit the ground running in the Champions League. Okay, that's fine. So there is an argument to say he needs to be given time, but then by the time he's had that time, the season's over. <laughs> and he's so. time's up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just it is a bizarre one. Isn't it? Sorry, James, I know you wanted to come in. I was going to say, just quickly on the Rainnit thing, um, you know, you, you, there's been a lot of comparisons about like how long it takes 
to get things, get the players into his style of play when you compare him to like Klopp and Tuchel and, and Guardiola, like you just said. But if you actually look at his record as a manager, he reminds me a lot like Marcelo Bielsa, where he's like the, like, he's not actually one thing of note, but he's regarded as this, like, sort of philosopher of football, as it were. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, actually, yeah. when you look it at his doesn't record, bring any trophies, yeah. Like, I, th- I just checked it. He's won, he's won two Austrian titles um, and a German Cup with um, Leipzig, I think it was. But other than that, he's literally just won nothing. And But then there was such this hype. And do you think that's where that's where United have gone wrong, is have almost they like, believed in the the hype rather than actually just stand and go, no, like we're, we're a massive football club. We're the, the biggest club in the world. We need to just do it, whatever it takes to get the biggest managers in the world. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I completely agree that I think sometimes this hype comes from figures within football and you'd say that you know, perhaps they know what they're talking about considering the fact they're in football, but I'm with you on Marcelo Bielsa as well. I think there is a lot of hype about, about Bielsa and... With Ranić, you're missing a trophy, I think, by the way. And this is one that's very close to the hearts of West Ham fans. The Betway Cup? I think he's an Inter-Toto Cup winner, fellas. Oh, is he right. really? Yeah, I think he's he is. the Betway Cup with Verde I'm checking Bremen. it out now. I'm checking it out now. Um, Inter-Toto, yeah. Stuttgart, maybe. Um, but we're talking about a manager as well. We're looking at Hodgson-esque levels here. He's been managing since 1983. So he's, what, in his fifth decade of management now? So... The fact that he spoke about the Wolves game and United not adopting his press as they should have done, we're eight games in now. And you'd think that if this is someone who is considered, like you say, a philosopher, the godfather of the Gagan press, isn't able to instill his system into a team eight games in, you are slightly concerned about that. And you're also concerned about the fact that... Particularly with the calibre of players he's got. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And and you know apparently they're they're not happy on on, on the training ground and that leads to we can have a discussion about Chris Armas as well as assistant who's come in of course from MLS and I, and I do believe that you know we're not professional footballers but I'd imagine you speak to most pro footballers they respect people who have done well in the game it's a bit different now because you are getting the likes of managers like Tuchel like you know going to football league Mark Walton didn't play yeah, professional yeah. football but do garner the respect of their players. But I think that also comes down to man management too. But Chris Armas is someone who has had two failed stints as a manager in MLS football. He spent his whole career in the US. And when that guy rocks up at the training ground at Manchester United, you know, you've got Cristiano Ronaldo there thinking, who on earth is this guy telling me how to play football? Yeah, yeah. And that's what I worry about. Um, and the fact that I don't think in the eight games that he's been in charge so far, he's named an unchanged side. And again, you've got to figure out the best team that suits the strategy and the system that you want to play. But at some point, you've got to go, this is the team I'm sticking with. And this is where I'm going. It reminds me again, and I'm sure I've said it on, on this show before about the fact that it was a running joke between my mates and I with West Ham a few years ago that... You could just never, ever name a West Ham starting 11. If you went into any weekend and said, right, what's the starting 11 going to be? No idea. The like, When you had the likes of, you know, all those players, Gokhan Torre and Raz Van Rat and those years, and you thought... Sofia Fuguli et al. Yeah, where are they playing? When are they going to play? How long are they going to be at the club for? They seem like completely pointless transfers. And I just think that he needs to go, right, 
this is my team. This is what I'm sticking with. If it doesn't work immediately, then at least I'm 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 working on a system. I'm working on a process that will hopefully. But you can't, but you can't mate. All of that, all of that sounds so sensible. <laughs> Excuse me, but it's all just undermined by the fact he's off in four months. Yeah. It's just silly. It's almost a waste of your breath and our breath talking about it, isn't it? Because well, and all this gag and pressing, it's totally right, right? Players need t- transitional times. That happens when players arrive in the Premier League. They need time to transition, some more than others. And when new managers come in and try and impress new styles, that happens, right? It's particularly given that Man United didn't really seem to have a style under Solskjaer. But it, it just all seems so futile. It, it just seems absolutely ridiculous trying to, especially trying something that's such a big leap. You almost think you're better off just, uh, look, I'll make some small improvements when and where I can. That might be a little bit quick and you might see a little bit of an improvement in the squad or in the side. Because by the time this huge wholesale change that I'm trying to instill takes root, I'll be off and then some other new bloke. You either need that or either that or they know that the guy they've got lined up, which could prove to be a stroke of genius, is and also a master of gag and press, which is an absolute another phrase that's come in that I hate about modern football. Well, it, it goes back to that that way that we seem to have to play play football now. Now, I think Pep Guardiola is, is, is responsible for this in, in, in many ways, especially the possession-based football. The, it filters all the way down, doesn't it? You go into League Two now and you see these teams that want to play out from the back. They want to play a specific type of football because they look at Pep and go, well, he's playing like that. That's how we've got to play. Yeah, that's fine. We saw when... Yeah, yeah older athletic, in, mate. Yeah. Yeah, up and they tried <laughs> to play like that. Well, you don't have the players to, to be able to, to play like that. And not when you're playing against top-level opposition. And I, I, I agree with you. The Gagan press is like, well, that's the way we've got to play. Let's get a manager who can play that way. And you know, it should have the players who can play that well, but play that way. But we're also saying this is a manager that stepped onto a training ground that seemingly has become a bit divisive as well. And you asked me the last time I came on here as to what the signing of Cristiano Ronaldo would mean for Manchester United. And as much as I hate, I hate to say it and I hate to admit it, that it has had, I think, unfortunately, a negative impact. You look at his stats, I think it's 14 goals that he scored this season. So on paper, very good. But Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, prior to signing Cristiano Ronaldo, had a plan. He had a plan with, with Rashford on the left, with most likely Sancho on the right, Cavani probably playing in through the middle. Cavani would step out every so often. Mason Greenwood would come in and then Cristiano Ronaldo has come in and completely disrupted that. And um, you've seen it with the likes of Rashford, with the likes of Greenwood. Cavani not looking a patch on the player that he was before. And I think the Wolves game was really significant for me that on the hour mark, I think the only player who looked like he was adopting this Gagan press was Mason Greenwood. And he was the player that got substituted. And Edison Cavani and Ronaldo were the two players that stayed on for the full duration. And you thought, what is going on here? And that mm. reminded me a lot. When I watched that Wolves game, it reminded me a lot of Louis van Gaal's tenure, which for me was, was utter dross. And even more so now, seems to be replicated in Ranić's obsession with fullbacks and chopping and changing them. We've seen Taylorism, we've seen... Um, uh, Dallow come in on the right. We've seen Luke Shaw back in. We've seen Aaron Bissaka back in. He doesn't seem to know what his best fullbacks are. And that was the same with Louis van Gaal. It's ridiculous in his tenure. I think if you were to look back at his final season or his second season at the club, 
the number of changes he made at fullback, and it was almost like a given. Uh, around 70 minutes, you knew that he was either going to introduce Matteo Damian, Timothy Fossu Mensah, or Cameron Borthwick Jackson at some point. He couldn't make his mind up, and you thought, is this where the problems are at this club? Fullback. You know, ridiculous. Yeah. But- Matt, before we move on to the game at the weekend, um, I wanted to ask you about Ronaldo. You kind of, all, you kind of already answered the question that I, that I had lined up in that you know, do you actually looking back, do you actually think it was a good idea to bring him back to the club? But I wanted to ask you whether you actually hold him sort of partly responsible for the current issues that they're seeing in the dressing room because you know you look at Ronaldo and look at what he's achieved in the game. The likes of Greenwood and Rashford should be looking up to him mm. and going, I want to do things the way he does things. And do you think that actually his influence in the dressing room and potentially even on the on the training pitch um, are kind of having a negative effect? Because you see his arrival and you go, is it going to be a good thing? Is it going to be a bad thing? It has to be a good thing because the young players at United who are very, very highly rated and you know, have bright fruits in the game should be learning off him. And clearly they're not. They should be. And that was one of the positives that we all thought there would be of having him back at the club. No one knows what goes on at the training ground. We don't Mm. know what's happening behind closed doors. We don't know what's happening in the changing room after the game. But what we do see is Ronaldo running off the pitch instantly as soon as the final whistle is blown. We see him with his arms up in the air, um, gesticulating a player's want, delivering the ball, bang on um, exactly where he wants it. And we also see the likes of Marcus Rashford, who has had a face like he's chewing on a wasp for the past, I do not know how many seasons. Now, whether something else is going on with Marcus Rashford, I don't know. He's 24 years old now and he is so frustrating to watch. I think United in their attacking department, when you look at Anthony Martial, who's another topic altogether, and Marcus Rashford, have two of the most frustrating players in English football, when you consider the ability they both have and what they're just not producing or haven't been producing in the past few seasons. And who knows what impact Ronaldo is having on the training ground. He posted this week, I think, didn't he, on, on social media about winning some five, being the five-a-side winning team and Paul Pogba was in it. And again, that's another conversation altogether. And then <laughs> blew up and, oh, Ralph Ranick's a liar. Paul Pogba's training. He doesn't want him in the team. He's just come back early from training, from from injury. That's all that is. But I don't think, I agree with you, I don't think Ronaldo has had the desired effect on the players that that we probably would have hoped. But he's got to be a a role model, isn't he? Not just to fans, but he should be a role model to to the players. And, you know, you mentioned it there, him throwing his arms up when he doesn't get the ball or runs off the pitch straight after the game. That's immediately sending a message to the rest of his teammates that you know he's not a team player, and yeah, I just it baffles me that there are still fans out there and even neutrals that go, "No, it's still best thing United could have done was bring him back." And it's like, well, if he's having a if, if he's showing he's not a team player, I mean, he's never really been a team player anywhere he's been. He's always been exactly the main exactly. man. But in situations like this, you know, that is you know that is the club that he's he's, he's come home. Seeing his club in complete and utter disarray on and off the pitch, you'd think he might, you know, being Cristiano Ronaldo, might actually step up and show why he's regarded as the greatest player to have ever lived. But he has. In some people's opinion. But he, he has, though, hasn't he? So, don't you think, Matt? Like, he, he has done. 
the, the, I'd, he's not I'd done that at United. Yeah, he scored the goals, but he's not, sh- he's not showing mean? them. He's but not. He's not mean? showing the rest of his teammates. Like this is a. This is how it's done. But I mean, what he's do not, you mean? He's yeah, not, he scored the goals. He's that, not. He's not adopting he's the system that Rangnick's. The Rangnick's trying to trying to instill. He's not trying right now. He guys, never will though. He, he never will because no, this is why. This is why we've got to do it. Is he? He scored the goals. But he has, like I said, on paper, stats-wise, fourteen goals this season for the club. He he has produced. So in some ways, you look at it and go, okay, well, it's been successful. But then, has it been successful for Cristiano Ronaldo? And and you know the stats that mm. when his career eventually comes to an end, you'd make- be out of the Champions League, wouldn't you, Matt? Without him, yeah, yeah, he's come up with some important goals. Of course, he has. But it's like I said, I think that the players obviously looked at the start of the season before he had arrived that they were working. You look at that opening game of the season against Leeds, you know, phenomenal. You thought, okay. Mm. Here we go. And Ole Gunnar Solskjaer clearly had a plan which may have worked without Cristiano Ronaldo joining the club, but there were still gaping holes in defence. We still got Victor Lindelof there. We still got Eric Bailly there. You know, Rafa Varane. And, and you look at the business in the summer, you know, Rafa Varane coming in, that should have been an incredible signing, but that hasn't quite worked out. I mean, he's had injuries, but. Mm. There are still huge gaping holes in United's backline, and you know the McFred partnership still isn't quite there. I love Scott McTominay. I think I think he's, I think he's absolutely brilliant, and I think he could be a, a top top midfielder for years to come. But it's just who you pair him with. And again, the way the system has worked with the four-two-two-two, and then switching to a four-four-two, kind of a flat four-four-two against Burnley, and then switching up again against Villa with a 4-2-3-1 showed that Bruno Fernandes, when in the position that he likes to play, is pivotal to the way that Manchester United play. And I just think, you know, it's it's very easy to say, right, you have your marquee man and you do everything around him. But I think that's the way that it works with Bruno Fernandes. Mm. Listen, Matt, we've, uh, we've got intriguing stuff. We've gone for hours about this. I, I just think all of the stuff shows, doesn't it? If you look at your main, or Man United's main competitors, supposedly, Chelsea, Manchester City and Liverpool, all of them are so much more streets ahead, more stable than, than Man United are. They know their best players are, they know the system they want to play uh, and they just go out and play it with the players they've got every week. And everything seems to be done on purpose for a reason, um, in their own styles, of course. But Manchester United just seems like there's no one who's got a clue what's going on or who's ever been involved in football at the moment, which is obviously a real shame uh, for us neutrals to see. Um, there is a game coming up, Matt, this weekend, as we've mentioned already, Saturday afternoon at Old Trafford, West Ham v Manchester United. Looking ahead to that, you've touched briefly on suggestions and systems and stuff. How do you see that playing out style-wise and selection-wise ahead of that game? It's a great question, mate. Because who knows? <laughs> <laughs> who knows what he's going to do? It was interesting to see Anthony Langer come in, actually, against Aston Villa and have, have have a pretty good game, I think. And a lot of United fans will, will be happy with that. I, I, I think any Premier League fan, you ask any Premier League fan, we love to see kids play. You love to see you love to see youth, and again, that's a great conversation for the shambolic nature of these COVID call-offs that have occurred over the mm. course of the past few weeks. How teams can not play on a Thursday, but then suddenly have uh, a team capable of playing an FA Cup against the lower league side a few days later is beyond me. I think you're exploiting 
a system there. But um, I'm, I, do you know, what? I just want to quickly say something else when you talked about the the nature of of on the field matters. It's it's replicated off the pitch as well. I alluded to it earlier, but we talk about Richard Arnold coming in. I quickly before we came on just jotted down the titles that I'm aware of at the club so far in the backroom staff on the board, for example. So Richard Arnold's coming in as chief executive officer, right? That's taking over from Ed Woodward, who was the executive vice chairman. You've got John Murto there, who was the, who is the director of football. You've got Matt Judge, who was previously, I think involved in head of recruitment, or something to do with transfers. He's now up, like heading up the transfer negotiations or whatever it may be. And let's not forget Darren Fletcher, who is the technical director. You've got all these titles, all of which none of us really know what they mean. But at what club, and you mentioned those top clubs there, Manchester City, Chelsea, Liverpool, Spurs, at what club does a technical director sit on the bench in a tracksuit like Darren mm-hmm. Fletcher's been doing over the course of the past few weeks? I don't understand what his role is now at the club. Why is Darren Fletcher <laughs> in, in the dugout? He's the technical director. He should be eating his corn sandwiches in, 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 in the boxes with, with whoever else it is. But that's what seems so strange. He's getting closer to get his boots back on, isn't he? I can't yeah, yeah. around it. And then you've got Mike Phelan, who's just propped up against the United badge at the side of the pitch going, Good here. Yeah. And, and, you know, again, it's said that he's the one who's trying to soften up the players and make sure they're all okay with this other fellow, Chris Armas, who's come in. But what's he doing there? You know, it's really, really difficult. And I think... Again, you ask a lot of players and they probably would say, we quite like Michael Carrick. And if he'd stayed until the end of the season, that would have worked. But Carrick quite rightly was like, doesn't feel right to me because I'm I'm loyal to Ollie in a way. And I think I should probably step out as he steps out. So to go back, sorry, to your question about how Manchester United are going to line up, I'm not afraid to say, I don't really know. I'd give Phil Jones a run, if I'm honest. Richard Arnold in centre mid. Came against Wolves at a decent game. Much prefer him over Victor Lindelof. And I'd like to see Jesse Lingard play, which is unlikely, but prob- probably because he's going to move on. But I don't really know what he has to do to, the- to get a game for Manchester United now, other than coming on for the last two minutes. It's ridiculous. Don't know what he has to do to get sold either, to be fair. Yeah. Like, why haven't you sold him yet? Uh, I, I... Well, probably say that he wants to go. He's just He hasn't done anything towards making anything happen, has he? He didn't last in the summer either. That's I true. don't think... He loves the uh, club. I think he... he loves the club. Uh, he, he, he wants to be a Manchester United player and I think that it was primed for him when he came back from the very successful loan spell he had with you guys that he was going to do a bit this season and he, he was doing a bit. He scored a great goal um, at, West Ham, yeah. at West Ham. He made an impact in the Champions League game against, was it Villarreal with the last minute winner? Mm. He's, he's, he's played relatively decent when he has played, but clearly Ranić doesn't fancy him. All the fans are constantly calling for Donny van der Beek as well, but I would look at that and say Oli clearly didn't fancy him. Carrick didn't utilise him in his two games that he was in charge for, and now Ranić's come in and he's not playing him either. So mm. they have to be seeing something on the training ground that doesn't warrant a starting spot for Donny van der Beek. And I'd love to know what all the United fans that are constantly singing his name have seen any in Donny van der Beek because I haven't really seen anything so far as a Manchester United player. And yes, he was good for Ajax. He's been he's been good for Holland. We know that. But in the time he's worn a Manchester United shirt, it looks like he's a fan who's won a prize to hmm. play for Manchester United. That's the way it looks at the moment. But talking about West Ham this weekend, um, 
we're on the on the back of a disappointing defeat, disappointing performance. Is there is there any any part of West Ham that particularly worries worries you ahead of ahead of the game at the weekend? Declan Rice does, whom I think at the moment is footballer of the year, without a shadow of a doubt. I think he's how old is he now? Twenty two three, three now. just turned yeah. twenty three, yeah. He still qualifies for young footballer of the year, right? PFA. So he'll probably get that. You can he? win that twenty eight, I think, can't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um he Declan Rice, I think, is is just an excellent, excellent footballer. Jared Bowen as well is intriguing me. I I asked a, a good mate of mine who's a West Ham fan at the start of the season that I wasn't really sure about Jared Bowen. My my feelings were I, I, I wanted to ask him, and this is something that only West Ham fans can answer and, and close on lookers of West Ham over the course of the past couple of seasons that he came into the club. And my question was always, what's his role? What's his role in this West Ham team? Because, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, when David Moyes brought him in in that January, he'd been banging him in for Hull, right? So I mm-hmm. thought, okay, he's, he's signing a goal scorer. And that didn't really, you know, come to fruition that he was an epic goal scorer. And I didn't really know what kind of role he played for the side. And then this season, he's shown me because he's quite clearly got a lot of quality, although couldn't find the back of the net. And I don't know why he's chesting that ball in in the final seconds mm. or chesting it over, I should say, against Leeds. But yeah, clearly those two players, Mikel Antonio actually always worries me because of his unpredictability. Um, but it's Declan Rice for me. He's the one that that worries me as a, as a as a Manchester United fan. And I think it's games like this where Declan Rice can actually really step up and say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a top level player and this is where I'm going to boss it. And of course, mm. if he does... All the chat's going to be about Manchester United signing Declan Rice. But I think we have to be honest and look at Declan Rice and think, why would he want to come to Manchester United at this at this moment in time? Yeah, I, I think if he's going to leave, the uh, the team who by far and away need him the most and could afford him is Man United. Just screaming out for him. Um, if you look at... you, I know you singing the praise of McTominay there. I mean, that just completely baffles me that that people really? think he's even in this yeah they're in the same league as you got Kante and Jorginho um and then even like Thiago doing bits at, at Liverpool is superb and then um obviously at City as well Rodri is just elite level uh yeah the, the fact that people talk about McTominay and expect people to take him seriously when that's where Man United want to be and they think they're going to do it with a player of that caliber is baffling but um yeah, if he's going to go, I would have thought from a football perspective it would make sense for him to go there. But he could walk into... Um, I don't think he walks into Chelsea's team, to be fair. Uh, City, probably like the new Fernandinho, whatever. But that's a conversation for another time. Matt, it's been brilliant having you on. Um, you're obviously not too uh, jovial about Man United at the moment. What are you uh, saying, though, this weekend, your score prediction? I am going... I... I can never predict that Manchester United will lose a football match. So I will say one apiece because I don't think we will get a victory. And I think that West Ham will will bounce back from from that weekend defeat to Leeds. So I'm going to say one apiece. One will be lovely. Jonesy? I mean, I would definitely take a point, but I think I think Matt's right. I think we will bounce back uh, and I'm fancying. I think we'll win 2-1. One there, one there already this season in the cup, and I'm going to back a two-one win. Yeah, I mean, haven't done it uh, for 15 years. One at Old Trafford, and then you fancy like the London buses two coming along at once. 
I got absolute pelters this week for saying that West Ham would beat Leeds 4-0 at home. Uh, my Twitter mentions have not been a great place since that uh, result on the weekend. But yeah, I'd, I'd, I'm weirdly confident again. We've had that weird habit, haven't we, this season. Before we beat Chelsea, I think we... Uh, I don't know if it was the... We lost to Brentford before that one. And then we drew at home with Brighton and then beat Liverpool, didn't we? So Something like that, yeah. In, yeah, we've sort of... Whenever we have a naff game and a naff result that no one expects, we normally... Um, blast out the blocks in the next one so yeah I, I fancy we'll nick it as well and go 2-1 as well Jonesy but Matt it's brilliant having you on uh, I'd like to say I'm sorry to hear um, about the woes at your club but I couldn't be less sorry if I tried I don't think <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah it's brilliant having you on again Matt Beadle there sports journalist and Man United fan and stay with us because Catherine Batty from the Daily Mail joining us next to chat the West Ham women <laughs> Matt Beadle there, talking all things Man United. Always good having a chat with Matt, head of that game at Old Trafford on Saturday. Delighted to say, though, our second guest of this week's show and joining us for the second time in the space of eight days is Catherine Batty from the Daily Mail, women's football correspondent uh, and all-round WSL hero, I'd say. Catherine, (laughs) you were at the game. West Ham United won Tottenham Hotspurs, won at the Hive uh, this week, uh, dramatic late equaliser from Kate Longhurst, a red card in there as well. Uh, you were absolutely furious texting me after the game about having to change your match report when Kate Longhurst's header went in in the 93rd minute, I believe, of the game. Um, have you got over that, first of all, before you talk about the game? Yeah, it was. it's difficult because it was a really good goal as well. And part of me was appreciating how good of a header it was, but also cursing the fact that I had basically written the whole report, which is always a risk. But with sort of a minute left, just sort of thinking, you know, should be all right. Tottenham will see this out and then they give the ball away. And uh, yeah, a bit of a mad rush at the end, especially with a late game as well. You've not got as much time to... Um, change things around but thankfully it was fine um as as we were saying before uh just change the top and the bottom and leave the middle yeah exactly yeah (laughs) the rest of the game still happened the same didn't it but i read your piece in the mail today absolutely brilliant stuff um i think ultimately we were chatting about the game last week weren't we with you and we all i think quietly agreed that a point would be a decent result away at Tottenham just to sort of get back in the swing of things in the new year for the girls. Happened in dramatic fashion, but uh, just sort of talk us through how it went down, really. Tottenham obviously took the lead, but then the red card was in there. Just just give us a rundown of, of how the game went, first of all. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't the best game of football to watch. It was quite scrappy. Um, Tottenham probably had the better of the chances in, you know, the first half and the start of the second half, but without really having sort of any clear-cut moments. Um, and, yeah, I mean, Oli Harder, I don't know if you saw his comments, criticised the pitch before the game as well, sort of saying it was, compared it to Hackney Marshes, I think. Um, it wasn't sort of the best for um, playing football on. But he was saying after the game as well that his side was sort of lacking a little bit of match fitness and you could sort of, you could tell, you know, that it was their first game in um, four weeks. So it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't the best type of football, but there was a lot of, you know, tackles flying in, you know, it was, it it did feel like a a good derby to watch. And um, yeah, obviously with West Ham stayed in the game, um, you know, goalkeeper made a couple of good saves in the second half to 
to you know keep them in the match. And um, yeah, obviously the lifelong hammer Kate Longhurst turns up with uh, a header to uh, ruin my report at the end. But um, you know, she, I think her celebration was great as well. I know they'd spoke, sort of spoken earlier in the week. They'd been, um, I think it was Sissoko actually had said, you know, Kate had told the team in the reverse fixture, you know, we can't lose to Tottenham. Um, we can't let them. We can't let them win. Uh, so it sort of felt right that she got the equaliser at the end. Have some of that, she screamed down the camera, didn't she, at the end of the game? <laughs> Absolutely brilliant stuff, yeah. Catherine. She, yeah, she did She did well to, to not swear, I thought, because I was trying to work out <laughs> what she said and I thought she did quite well not to um, let any bad words slip in. We've spoken a lot, um, particularly this season, about the impact that Hard has had on the team and the improvement that we've seen. Um, but do you think that the, the late equaliser against Spurs the way in which it came about was down, down to 10 players. Um, that was the first shot on target as well, I think, the, the equaliser. And um, do you think that that's proof that one of the big changes actually made at the club is just the, the mentality side of things in terms of staying in games, even when you're, you know, you're, you're a player down um, up against a good side. But they're six games unbeaten. They've had a month off and then they've put in a performance like that. Um, do you think that actually, while we're talking about the performances have been good, you know, they've improved under Harder, actually the mentality side of things has been one of the one of the biggest improvements we've seen under Oli Harder? Yeah, definitely. And I think you can see that the squad are very together, which um, you sometimes questioned a little bit under Matt Beard, whether there were sort of um, fractions in the group and maybe splits and disagreements. But I think the fact that, as you say, they stayed in the game yesterday, um, whereas last season they could, you know, probably would have fallen a couple of more goals behind um, and maybe, you know, started sort of chirping at each other. But there wasn't any of that yesterday. And you can, you know, as you say, I think, you know, they've only lost two games this season, West Ham, and only Arsenal have lost less than than West Ham. So, um, yeah, definitely there's been a, a real shift in the in the as you say, the mentality and the spirit of the group as well. Um, you can you feel that the players want to play for the club and you know that there's a real kind of commitment there, which is, you know, obviously great to see. It's quite it's quite enjoyable, really, isn't it? I think uh, even a point against Tottenham having a good season. Um, well, with that, I'm oh, interested to see, because obviously Kate Longhurst is a huge fan of West Ham United as a club. On, on Obviously, she plays for the women, but she's a big fan of the men's team as well. Season ticket holder, I believe. We've had a dad, Jeff, on the show before. Great guy. Uh, it's a family love affair for West Ham United. What's the, 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 the sort of level of rivalry like um, in the women's game, Catherine? So those listening who may not be as... Ofe is with the WSL as they are with the Premier League uh, and they see West Ham Tottenham. Is the rivalry among players and fans the same or how does it compare or how is it different perhaps to to how fierce it is between the two groups of men's teams, players and fans? Yeah, I think rivalries in the women's game is something that's still building, especially with clubs like Tottenham and West Ham who are still a little bit more new to, you know, obviously being in, in the WSL. West Ham were there a couple of years before Tottenham and then Tottenham came up from the championship. And then it's been about, you know, both teams kind of building. And obviously, yeah, um, you know, West Ham and Tottenham have that traditional rivalry in the men's game. And they've always kind of been up there in, um, you know, in the Premier League and, and kind of battling it out with each other. But obviously Tottenham and West Ham in the women's game hasn't really been the same. So it's still quite a new rivalry. It's the same with like, Tottenham and Arsenal, for example. Even the last couple of years when Tottenham have been in the WSL, they've not really been anywhere close to challenging Arsenal or giving them the game. 
what we saw them draw with Arsenal this year and, you know, results like that and the closing of the gaps with teams is always going to help because once it feels like a competitive match, you're going to have a competitive rival with the fans. But it is kind of, a, it is different in a women's game because you don't quite have the, the support is different because it's, it's not that same kind of intense sort of hatred that you sometimes get in the men's game because quite often the women's game is targeted at families or younger mm. generations. There are, there are those, you know, there are people that kind of want it to go that way. And we've kind of almost got like a split of some fans who kind of like the way the women's game is and has traditionally been. And the, the maybe the younger sort of our, our age, maybe, you know, late 20s, 30, yeah, 30s, late teens that kind of want that kind of a bit more of an edge. Uh, Man United, for example, have like the Barmy Army and they're quite like vocal and kind of want to mm. shout songs at rival fans and sometimes don't always get much back. But I think yeah. for, for every club, it's sort of, it's, it's building steadily and um, the types of songs you hear at women's games are like the types of songs you hear at men's games. But, um, so I've been at Man City a few times and they have some uh, interesting songs that are just really like almost quite friendly, um, like a friendly <laughs> kind of dig at teams like you know, oh, the only team to come from Manchester and it's sort of like a, you know, there's not really much any kind of proper um, dig in there properly. But yeah, like it's it's building. And I think um, as as we saw on the pitch yesterday with a few feisty tackles flying in, hopefully that kind of goes into the stands as well a little bit. Not with the tackles, obviously, but like with the, yeah, <laughs> with, yeah, the yeah. Yeah, with the rivalry developing. James, question for you, mate. Um, on a scale of one to ten, how delighted are you that Catherine has just said our age and seemingly <laughs> included you in that conversation, despite the fact that you are at least a decade older than she is? At least. It can't be. It can't be. Um, I, I will admit, um, because like, I, I feel like I'm down with the kids most days, um, I... It, it, I, I completely I didn't even realise that that's what Catherine had said. I was just like, well, yeah, obviously our age, yeah. Like it's just no. <laughs> you're ba- you're barely my age, mate, and I'm clearly older than Catherine. <laughs> well, yeah, but, yeah, I'm just having the kids. Didn't didn't even notice. Didn't even notice. <laughs> there we go. Look, Catherine, we're Sam eighth in the WSL at the moment, fourteen points. Now it's it's brilliant because what Ollie Hard has done, and it's, uh, it's sort of a transitional season, if you like, that league position it sort of doesn't look quite as glamorous as it has done in recent weeks. But West Ham have only played 10. A uh, few teams above them have played 11 already. And with a win, they could go up to sixth place in that game in hand that they've got. It, it, how does it, because it's a transitional season, what Ollie Hard has done. He's stopped the rot, basically, isn't he? So the defeats, we've played 10 games, just lost two. That stat on its own is brilliant. And it, the, the percentage would have been low tire under Matt Beard. That's for sure. We've only won three of those as well. Five draws in there. That um, draw stat, that's the most draws by a long way in the WSL. Next is Tottenham and Manchester United with three. Uh, and there's only one team under that, Everton on two. So... Is that a concern yet, or is it just like you know what you got to be patient, just trust the process at the moment, and and keep going, and then perhaps next season or towards the end of this, you, you then start looking at keeping that loss level quite low, and then turning those draws into wins. Yeah, and obviously I was I was speaking to Ollie on um, Friday actually, and kind of saying to him, you know, this time last season it was just about trying to put points on the board, but obviously now you've got that kind of healthy buffer between 
the bottom two and you're not really looking over your shoulder. And I was sort of asking him, you know, kind of what his aims are for the rest of the season, if it's to maybe experiment and sort of see if they can, you know, adapt their game to maybe be a bit more attacking or, you know, maybe try and go at teams a little bit more. And he, yeah, he kind of sort of said that was sort of what they want to do. Um, and obviously, you know, try and sort of move up the table as, as much as they can. Um, I think scoring goals has been probably the the biggest issue, just sort of finishing chances. Um, we saw, obviously, Emma Snell get a debut last night, but I think with the way the game kind of went, she wasn't really able to sort of properly get into things and really kind of, you know, stamp her authority or, or anything like that. But I think hopefully, you know, she kind of grows into, into the team Um she might bring a little bit of creativity and flair that's perhaps been missing at the in the first half of the season. Before Jonesy jumps in, Catherine, there's a couple of things from from that Tottenham game quickly that uh, I sort of caught my eye. Uh, Sue Smith, I think it was on co-commentary, was absolutely baffled by a booking that was handed out to Stringer, I think. Um, and so, talk us through that and the red card for Sissoko as well. What actually went down there? Because I believe it was petulance rather than um a bad challenge of such yeah I think the stringer one was sometimes you get a bit of inconsistency in the women's games where you can have players put in like really bad tackles and not get a card at all and you know when it should be a red and then players sort of you know maybe make a sort of soft foul and somehow get booked it's it's yeah quite strange and the stringer one was a bit of a surprise but with Sissoko I think it was just poor kind of Either you could say maybe poor management on Ali Harder's behalf. Um, behalf what happened? The, Sorry, with Sissoko first of all, Catherine. Yes, so Sissoko obviously got booked in the in the first half again for not not necessarily a, a bad tackle, just maybe a, a foul that was you know maybe a little bit of a harsh yellow. Um, then obviously the second half she gave the penalty away, which was again not really a bad tackle, just a bit clumsy, and you know couldn't have any complaints about the penalty. And Tottenham obviously were quite kind of vocal on the sidelines saying, well, she's already been booked, you know, she should be off. And she managed to escape getting booked for the penalty. So at that point, you kind of need someone to just say to her, look, you know, no more fouls, just, you know, toe the line. Um, straight after, committed another foul. And again, I don't think she'd have been booked for the foul. And she kicked the ball away right in front of the referee. And she sort of had no choice but to send her off, really. And it was just a, it was just, it was a silly thing to do because I think, again, it was a silly thing to make, make the foul, but I think she would have got away with making a foul. It was the fact that she'd kicked the ball away as well, left the referee with no option, really. Um, and you just sort of need the captain or, you know, um, Jilly or even Ollie just to say, like, just, you know, calm down sure. a little bit. I think it was just frustration from giving the penalty away and then it sort of over into the next few minutes. But um, luckily for her, obviously, the team the team came back and got a point because um, I'm sure she'd have been feeling a lot worse had they, had they, uh, had they not done Looking ahead to the next two games, then Catherine, you've got Chelsea in the in the cup quarterfinal um, are on Wednesday coming up, uh, and then Everton in the WSL at the weekend. Um, I mean, there was only a couple of weeks ago you'd, you'd look at that Chelsea game and go, you know, absolutely no chance, and pr- pr- probably still correct. But after that, the performance against Tottenham, obviously against the ropes, but still putting, still managed to get the point. Do you think they'll be taking a lot of confidence into that? and Or do you think that they'll already have one eye on that Everton game going, that's probably a bigger game because you beat Everton and suddenly the the, the building a gap between themselves and the bottom half of the table? Yeah, I think it's worth I think it's worth having a go at Chelsea. They've not played since um since Christmas. Um obviously they've had two games called off now. 
and the way they ended before Christmas as well wasn't you know wasn't great. Um, lost against Reading and then were knocked out of the Champions League. And they've got a couple of players away at the Asia Cup, so it's not sort of Chelsea in their best best form. Obviously, it's always going to be difficult against them, but I think it's definitely worth having a go because we've seen you know we've seen Reading beat them, we've seen. Um, you know, you know, Wolfsburg beat them quite quite easily in in the Champions League. So it's definitely worth um, Oli playing his best team in that. But obviously, Everton is, as you say, it looks like a winnable game as well because again, they've not played since since Christmas. They've had two games called off, weren't really in good form before the Christmas break either. And we saw obviously West Ham be a little bit sort of leggy and tired with it being the first game back. Everton have had an even longer break. You'd expect them to to again be even sort of slower and um, not as fit as West Ham. West Ham will also have that midweek game. They'll have played two and Everton, Everton aren't in the Conti Cup anymore. So they've, they've not got even got the midweek game to kind of give themselves something before before that league match. So, um, as I say, definitely worth having a go at Chelsea and seeing what happens. And then, um, yeah, Everton looks like, a, you would think, a, a game that Oli will be targeting for three points. Catherine, it's been absolutely brilliant having you back on again. Thanks for coming on and doing two in two weeks. Do appreciate it. It's good to have you uh, uh, on straight after actually going to a, a Hammers game, of course. And uh, yeah, brilliant to see them get that point on the board. Could still be Jonesy, couldn't it? A, uh, and a, de- a decent season. It's sort of all very well at the beginning to say oh, it's transitional and, and just sort of stabilised. But there's there's... You know, there's no real nothing to say really that that they they couldn't push on the girls towards the end of the year, is there? Hundred percent. I mean, six games unbeaten. The foundations have been have been put in place for it to to be a good second half of the season and see where they go and think about continue to cut run and get into the top half of the table and stay there. You have to look at goes a very successful season. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Well, look, Catherine Batty there from the Daily Mail joining us again on the We Are West Ham podcast. Brilliant to have you with us. Thanks so much. Stay with us because that's pretty much it from me and Jonesy for this week. And we'll have some final thoughts next. Well, there we have it, Jonesy, Catherine Batty from the Daily Mail there talking about that exhilarating one-all draw against Tottenham. And that's it for another week, mate. Uh, it's been a peculiar one, hasn't it? I mean, I feel a little bit under the weather as it is anyway. I think even though since we last spoke uh, on the podcast or since we last did a podcast, we have won a game because it was against Norwich in, in very, very mundane fashion. Uh, and then it ends with a, a 3-2 defeat at home to Leeds. Obviously, we lost to Southampton on Boxing Day as well. It's a little bit and Brentford a little bit worried that these home results against teams, if we could only turn a couple of those into draws, it might look a little bit prettier for us. Um, it sort of leaves you with a little bit of a, a bizarre, it's just a peculiar place to be, isn't it? I know we, we're fourth in the league, but if all the games have been played, are we really fourth? Probably not game coming up against Manchester United, which is an exciting one. And that sort of, that's the most thing. The thing I'm most positive about, really. It's just a weird feeling, isn't it? I, I'm not doing a very good job putting it into words here. Yeah, it's a weird feeling. I think that it, you're right. It's the home results against those teams, which is which be kind of praying doesn't underline what what we do this season. You know, like dropping mm. points against at home to like Brentford, Southampton, Leeds, uh, Brighton, Brighton. Um, 
So obviously Brighton, yeah. Yeah, obviously Brighton. But this is, we should have said this when we we're doing the reaction to the game. But you know, business needs to be done before the end of this month because you know when you're you're three two down at home to Leeds and you're bringing off the bench, you've only you can literally only bring off the bench Yarmolenko, Masuaku, and an eighteen year old Sonny Perkins to try and get an equaliser yeah. and then potentially a winner. You're in yeah. trouble. Like you're in yeah. trouble. We knew we were going totally to get to this agree. point. We knew we were going to get to this point where the squad would be too thin. It was thin as it was. Chuck a couple of injuries in there, and you're in danger of, of your season falling apart. We're yeah. now in that in that situation. So less than two weeks, he's got to bring in three players for me. Mm. Uh, and even then, it's probably not enough to to get through the last stage of Europa League plus push for Europe in, in the Premier League. But we'll see. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's the only frustrating thing is that you know you drop points in those games and suddenly the pressure comes on. But we are still fourth, as we've said, and mm-hmm. like, we're moaning I... that we 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 might fall outside the top six, whereas before we've yeah. been moaning that we we we're, we're not going to jump out of the bottom 16th. three. Sixteenth, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You know, so even, yeah, it, like, yeah. yeah I, I'm with you. I'm with you, mate. Uh, and you're right. That's context isn't it context is key and you know what even if even if once those games are at level we are seventh it's still going to be close you know coming into the the tail end of the season we're going to have a chance but I think you know even if Bowen had nodded that in at the end there disappointing but you'd have taken four points you'd have gone yeah right through that's unbeaten in three games in quick succession all home games as well you'd have definitely taken it but I'm just yeah, I, I'm a little bit concerned transfer-wise. I'm majorly concerned but because you know, what we left with 13 days, I'm not overly confident at this stage, but proved wrong before, not for ages, but <laughs> um, <laughs> it has happened. Uh, if we can bring someone in brilliant, we need to do that. Obviously, we need to do that. And I think we're a bit unfortunate, of course, weren't we? Because given that Ben Rama's at AFCON as well, um, Thomas Suchek playing, or sorry, Thomas Suchek missing out, which means Lanzini drops in for Nels, uh, plays instead of Ben Rama probably. Um, you'd have had those two players coming off the bench if you had Suchek and Ben Rama, if you get where my drift. Uh, and then you don't have to have Masuaka and Yarmolenko, but that's not the position we're in, is it? We we need to go out and, and add... Uh, particularly up front because the same Antonio is brilliant when he's on form, but like lots of players, him in particular, he's not always on form and to just have no one behind him, the defense. Yeah. It's a bit unlucky to lose your first choice two first choice center ass, but it's so glaringly obvious where we need to improve. And I understand January can be a bit of an iffy window, but we did some great business bringing Lingard in before. Mm. I've got, I'd, you know, Nathan Ake sitting there hardly getting a sniff at Manchester City. Could you go and loan someone like that? There must be some loan business that you could do because we've seen it firsthand that you can transform your campaign. And we're still on the edge of something monumental. The Europa League's gone out of everyone's mind, but it's still there to be played. We're still in the FA Cup. We've got an easy draw. Hopefully an easy draw. I don't want that to come back and bite me like the Leeds one did. But, uh, yeah, but... You know, we're on the brink here. We're on the yeah. brink. Go out and do some business. It doesn't even have to be big permanent transfers or big money signings. We've proved we could be shrewd before, but go and get something done. 
because that shows ambition more than anything. If you've got Declan Rice wandering around in the middle, it's a much easier conversation at the end of the season to go, look, Declan, we got to the semis of the Europa League and, you know, we were four points off of the Champions League or whatever. And look and at the squad we've built. Yeah, yeah. And look at the, this is who we're bringing in to play with you this summer. You're going to be the, you're going to be captain of this team because Noble will have gone. It's on you and you can lead us into this new era, at least for another year or two. It just gives you that more chance because bear in mind, he's only 23. It's not completely out of question Mm. that he would stay until 24 or 25, but it it could easily, it just feels like knife edge time, doesn't it? Knife edge time, make some statement signings now, loans or whatever, whatever, but just make sure that, what's been such a promising foundational start to the season doesn't just peter into nothing do you think yeah 100% i think the striker thing is is the big the big big problem like yeah. we should never be in a position where we're having to replace our first choice striker who isn't actually an actual striker yeah first choice right back striker yeah yeah um with an 18 year old Sonny Perkins, like we should yeah. not be in that position. It should just should never be like that. Yeah. Uh, great for Sonny Perkins to make his Premier League debut, and you know I'm sure I'm sure eventually we're going to do well. But like, it's just it's, it's, why is a team trying to finish in the top four or the top six in that position in terms of a squad point of view and you know, lack of options off the bench? So, but yeah. We're an enormous football club, aren't we? We're absolutely a massive football club. And I'll be honest, mate, this week I think might have been the one where I turned into a Republican rather than a Royalist where King Arthur Masuaku is concerned. Because, yeah, I mean, I just couldn't even watch. I sort of finally saw what everyone else has been seeing for a bit longer than me, I think. And you've hit an Allen head, mate. If Yamalenko Masuaku don't have a place at the club anymore, they don't fit with what West Ham United are trying to do and what they're trying to be. I think this Diop falls into that bracket as well, I think, honestly. Um, I think we might be sort of pressured into keeping him for a bit longer than perhaps some fans would like, given the age of his other defensive colleagues. And it puts us in a position where we're going to have to make a couple of big, or at least one big marquee defensive signing in the summer. Of course Mm. we are, to play alongside Kurt Zuma. And he wasn't brought to the club like just thinking it's going to be, he he would have been promised, you know, ambition and looking to go places, wouldn't he? He was playing in the Champions League. He could have easily gone, perhaps it might have been on the continent, but he could have gone and got Champions League football if he wanted it, definitely mm-hmm. somewhere else. Um, yeah, and I think next two windows, big. And I, I, as fans, they always, they're always big for different reasons. I understand that. I understand that. But I do think, you know, this this month particularly, just, just show us all because there's lots of credit in the bank for the, where the club's concerned as well, isn't there? Yeah, so just try, just show us you're trying, and that you that you want it as much as we do, or even just a little bit as much as we do, and that looks like reinforcing the squad at the moment, doesn't it? Careful what you say when you say just try though, because before no, we've had, don't we've say had, it. Don't we've say had it. the excuses. Oh, we tried, but there was no one out there. Like no, like trying this time around is getting someone in. No, right. sorry, mate. Sorry to clarify. I meant try, as in just bring someone in and try yeah. try it out, not yeah. not try in the market. I thought you meant like I was just trying, no, no, just no. try and sign someone. No, like no, yeah, we've heard that no, before. No, no. Will 
no, bring someone in, see what happens. Yeah, that's exactly but what Dave, I mean. Yeah, Dave Moyes yeah. doesn't operate like that, does he? He's, <laughs> he's like, no, they're not right for the changing room. We spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? They're not right for the squad. Um, they're not going to fit. Then he's not. He doesn't want to take the gamble. He'd rather just go without. Not time for that now, Dave. No, exactly. It's not the time was, for that. Yeah. It's getting worrying. Yeah. It's getting worrying. Like, yeah. yeah, we're still fourth, but we might not stay fourth for much longer. We're basically we... sixth slash seventh, aren't we? Once yeah. Even themselves know, out. Massive clubs don't belong outside the top seven. No. Oh, it's just horrible, that feeling, is it, mate, where the season could go euphoric, like best in our lifetime, best thing ever, or just whimper and Tenth. just go bleh. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then like crash out the Europa League next round and all of a sudden it's just like everything that was building up. We're at that stage now, aren't we? We're like the first half of the season is so good. The foundations yeah. are laid and then you're like, right, come on, bring on the big stuff now. Like, let's have it. And it's just having that feeling, but with the prospect of it just going, meh, now nah, you're all right because we're throwing on Yarmolenko and Masuaku yeah. to get through the next round of the Europa League or to try and hold on to another top six spot or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Let's, let's stay positive. Let's stay positive. Let's yeah. put our trust in Dave. Yeah. He knows what he's doing. Moyes, that is. Yeah. Yep. Um, not not Sullivan or Gold. I trust him 100% in the transfer window when it comes to bringing the right players in. It's just whether he ident- can identify who those players are yeah. in 13 days. Yeah. Because yeah. Um, so yeah. he hasn't had long. He's not had long, no. had long have they? No. no we haven't needed players for ages. Well, he did come out a couple of days ago and say that bids have gone in for players who no one knows who the players are. It's a mystery. It's quite exciting. That is just that is a that is about as meaningless, if not more so, than Bowen and a Bowen apology, isn't it? Yeah. Bids have gone yeah. in from players. Oh, in that case, Dave, all of my fears and worries are allayed. I feel I mean, absolutely fine now you've told me that. Don't I worry mean, about giving me any detail either. You could bid for just... you could bid for Mbappe if he wanted to. Like doesn't mean to yeah. say we're going to sign him. Oh, like but... the South End right back. It's like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. What, what good is that? Bids have gone in. A bid oh. for me if you want, Dave. I'll yeah. accept. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Baffling times. But you're right. I like your I like your thinking, Jonesy. Let's just stay positive, shall we? I've got a I've got a lovely little feeling we'll beat Man United. It did come back and bite me a little bit, saying we were going to beat Leeds 4-0 uh, last week on this podcast and one other. So, uh, yeah, hats off to everyone who got all up in my Twitter mentions. A special mention to Kieran Ben as well. If you haven't seen it already, Kieran mocked up a, uh, a wonderful little video of um, of me uh, after that Leeds game. So, go head on over to my Twitter. I think I've uh, replied to it earlier today. So, go in my likes and replies on uh <laughs> Yeah, on the Kieran Ben video, he, uh, it was it was quite funny. Josie, that's it for another week. Um, do follow us on Twitter at we are underscore West Ham. Uh, we never plug our own Twitters, but Jamesy's uh, at by James Jones. I'm at William Pugh underscore. If you fancy following our pro- personal profiles as well, Instagram we're we are West Ham Pod. Facebook we are we are West Ham Podcast. The same on YouTube where you can find clips from this week's show and all the other shows that we get, particularly the Opposition View, which we know is a popular one. Subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you listen to us on. 
give us five stars if you can write us a review and more importantly tell your friends about us and don't forget just like caesar did and a few of you have done already since we've had the podcast going you can buy us a beer for as little as a fiver each time and support the podcast at buymeacoffee.com slash we are west ham west ham united are fourth in the premier league just about we're through to the next round of the fa cup Happy days. We're in the knockout stages, the last 16 of the Europa League. Big thumbs up. We haven't signed anyone this January transfer window yet. 13 days to go. West Ham United are still massive. Thanks for listening, everyone. Up the hammers and we'll see you next week. Hi, this is Tony Cotty and you're listening to the We Are West Ham podcast. Podcast Network.